Here to set you free. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio. And I have to tell you, I thought I put the M in multitasking. And not just because my last name is Marshall, middle name Michelle. But this guy has me beat. Because not many broadcasters can say they're on the air for six hours a day, five days a week. But that is exactly what a colleague of mine can say. And he's been doing it since 2006. We're talking about Brian Kilmeade. He joined Fox News in 1997, soon named co-host after that of Fox and Friends. By the way, the number one cable morning show in the country, historic highs in the ratings. He still thrives there alongside the extraordinarily talented Steve Ducey and Ainsley Earhart. Love Ainsley. I've been friends with her for years. Together, they've powered their way to the top spot in morning cable TV. And after Fox and Friends from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., he also hosts his own nationally syndicated radio show, The Brian Kilmeade Show, on Fox News Talk Radio from 9 to noon Eastern. More than a pleasure to have somebody that I've had the pleasure to be on the uh, couch with on uh, Fox & Friends. Fox & Friends, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Good afternoon. Thanks for joining me today. Leslie, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm glad you took the time. I know your life is busy. I'm glad you fit me in. Thank you. Appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. Um, you uh, have a historical thriller called Andrew Jackson and the Miracle of New Orleans, the battle that shaped America's destiny, brings new understanding to one of America's greatest generals who later became one of its most controversial presidents. So let's talk about this. First of all, why did you decide to write this book and why about Andrew Jackson? Well, I mean, I thought it would be the next thing logically after uh, Thomas Jefferson. You know, I want to do something logically from there. Uh, and I just thought War of 1812 has always fascinated me. And then I thought, well, you know, what's underappreciated is I thought the battle that everyone told us didn't matter. Uh, matters a lot. And the more I looked into it, the more fascinated I became because it was such an overwhelming victory for America, and no one was even talking about it. You know, something that, that I find uh, interesting, because I'm a history buff. See, we have that in common, Brian. Uh, I'm, I'm a history buff, and one of the things that bothers me is kids today, and even adults, don't seem to know their history, and even more so, don't seem to know American history. Do you agree with me on that? A hundred percent, and that's part of it. But I also understand, too, you can feel heartened because uh, because people are interested. I mean, you just got to tell, tell the story in a compelling way, and people will be interested, I think. And that's what I found. I mean, the reason why the book seems to be doing so well, I think, is, you know, the word gets out because of Fox, but the people buy it because they care about the country. And and that's why I think that uh, the uh, people will, will buy it and are interested in it. If you can tell something in a compelling way that matters to them, not some theory and not some, you know, I'm not much into fiction, I think people pay attention. Let's talk about the War of 1812, and let's talk specifically about, well, first of all, how did that battle shape our destiny as a nation? I want people to buy your book, but maybe just give them some cliff notes, if you will, if they don't remember from history class or were never taught that in their classroom. I mean, basically, we start the War of 1812, and we're not ready, and we're getting our butt kicked everywhere. We decided to send our, our troops up to Canada instead of fighting in America and try to annex that area. Instead, we leave our country totally unprotected. And because of that, Washington's burned. Our, our East Coast is terrorized. And in turn, uh, you know, it looks as though the country's coming apart at the seams. And because that happens, uh, 
uh, it sets up a, a they, they need to go to other generals and other options. And one of those other options is uh, Andrew Jackson. And Andrew Jackson's in the South. He's considered a second-class citizen. And because of that, they didn't really, you know, uh, he's backwoodsman. He's not sophisticated enough. He doesn't have the military training. But basically, he had the reason because he wanted to get revenge to the British for what they did to him. New Orleans and is what, at the mouth of. Oh, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. And, and what they did to him basically is they killed his brothers. Uh, both his brothers died during the war. He wanted a degree of revenge. And uh, to get that revenge, he wanted to fight the British. And he put together his 1,400 man militia and started reeling off victory after victory. When people sometimes, you know, question why New Orleans, it was simply geography and economy are hoping to cripple the economy of the United States because it's the mouth of the Mississippi River, right? Yeah, and if you cut off the Mississippi, you cut off the spine of the country, and you stop it from growing. And people feared us even then. And uh, and if we got any bigger, if we got any, any stronger, uh, we would be a formidable force and a challenge to none other than Britain, Britain itself. And they thought if they could stop us here and send a message to the rest of their colonies that we will not be taken advantage of, um, you know, and, and you can't rise up or have any type of success, then uh, it will stop everybody else from, from doing what we did in the Revolutionary War. So 29 years later, they're looking for revenge, and they almost got it. But the Battle of New Orleans really put an uh, exclamation point on, on that America would never be invaded again, which is the fact. We'd be hit in 9-11, but we'd not be invaded again. And, you know, from uh, here on in, we would, uh, we, would send, we would send a message that we will fight back. And believe it or not, in a time in which you're supposed to be more sophisticated, today, that's still the message that has to, uh, that has to be heard. You are a New York Times bestseller. You wrote the book, George Washington's Secret Six. You also wrote the book, Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pirates. Would you say that... Uh, Andrew Jackson, um, as a general um, during the War of 1812 and at the beginning of it, certainly, uh, much like Washington and Jefferson, was a uniter. I mean, he took people who were divided in the city of New Orleans, he brought them together, whether they were French, they were Native Americans, even freed slaves into uh, your book, Jefferson, pirates as well. Yeah, I mean, what he did is take a pure American army, which means of all ethnic stripes and colors and creeds, and he put them together to fight for one battle for one reason, to preserve the country and keep the dream alive. And, uh, and he did. He got them together, and uh, they fought. And in under 45 minutes, they defeated the, the finest fighting force in the world. Uh, that was the British. That's something Napoleon couldn't do. Jackson was able to do it. He became the most famous man in America. A few years later, he'd run for president, get the popular vote, but not the victory. And then uh, four years after that, he became the president. Four years after that, he became the president again. And, you know, he was a legend up until recently. Now, all of a sudden, people want to rejudge him. Do you feel that we as a nation can learn from not just history, but these leaders, former generals like George Washington and Andrew Jackson, and former presidents as Washington, Jefferson, and uh, Jackson were, because unity and bringing together uh, diverse groups of people, as he clearly did with the War of 1812 in that city of New Orleans, which was extremely diverse, almost like a, you know, a, a very small microcosm of what our nation has become today. Uh, can current leaders, regardless of their party, take cues from Andrew Jackson, Jefferson, and Washington? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, no one loves the Indian Removal Act. Nobody loves, you know, nobody loves uh, slavery. But you can't put people back 200 years and say this is how you should have acted. 
I think people can appreciate his positive qualities, analyze his negative qualities, and grow as a you know, and, and grow as a leader. But I'm amazed as yeah, I'm amazed that people are judging like this. I I want to talk about also when we you know look at presidents who have controversy our current president has controversy i mean we've had presidents in the past that have had controversy bill clinton in a recent day why was andrew jackson one of our most controversial presidents looking back historically well because of the things i just mentioned uh the indian removal act as well as uh, as well as uh, having slaves and as well as maybe not treating the other legislative branches with the proper respect it deserves. Maybe that was the reason. Uh, Would you say... Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. I'm sorry, Leslie. Say it again. I wanted to know, you know, one of the things that I often find with research, and I I haven't done a book yet, it's on my, you know, got to do in my life list, but this is, you know, your third, and and kudos to you, because I know it's very time-consuming. When you did the research, you are a history buff, you knew a lot of this stuff. What, What was something perhaps you found out that you didn't know that you found to be surprising as somebody who loves history but maybe found out and didn't know about when you did the research for this book? Yeah, well, a couple of things. Number one, they told us the Battle of New Orleans was fought after the Treaty of Ghent, ending the war had happened. And even though it was an overwhelming victory, and they said in retrospect, yeah, we, we ended the war too early, I just didn't think, you know, it mattered as much, even though it was a great message being sent. Then we discover uh, British paperwork that shows they planned on holding the city and stopping us from growing and undoing the Louisiana Purchase. They felt like the Napoleon had no right to sell it to Jefferson. And I, I was fascinated by that. And do you feel that history would have played out very differently? I mean, it seems from your writing of this book, especially, that the War of 1812 was a, it was really the turning point uh, between whether or not we would remain, um, you know, where we were, which is just, you know, perceived as a, you know, a former colony, or be successful as the nation that we have become today. Well, I think that a couple of things. It was our second war of independence, and the only war we fought by ourselves on our own land, uh, the British would never mess with us. They gradually would go from enemies to allies. They realized they can't beat us. They might as well join us and uh, and try to get us while they can because they saw the potential in the American economy and this free market system that they didn't have. Uh, they certainly didn't have freedom of the press. They certainly didn't have freedom of elections. So what, what were they going to do about it? They became our enemy. They became our allies. And I also think that it was an important time, too, because we'd show we'd stand up and fight. So anyone who was going to roll over us would understand they couldn't. They were going to have their hands full. Even Wellington, who sent his army but he didn't go, said, I don't promise myself much success against America. And because they know that we don't quit, we melt into the woods and we'll come back and fight again. We have nowhere else to go. They were thousands of miles away from home. They didn't know where this fight was going to happen next. We killed their officers first. Unlike in Europe, they they would say that that would be something that would be beyond the rules or the unsaid laws of war. We killed them first, two generals, seven colonels, uh, and about 70 uh, officers taken out in a matter of minutes in the, Battle of, in the Battle of New Orleans. And the fact that we were able to pull that off and destroy the leadership so quickly is something the British couldn't make sense of for years. But they would actually talk about in laudatory terms in, in the, you know, years after. 
In August of 1814, the British troops set the White House on fire. And I think many people, if they remember nothing else from this period in history, you know, might remember that. Um, There was a hopelessness that hung in like a dark cloud and, you know, just just hung over this entire nation. So in a sense, you know, when when people are hopeless, they're desperate. Sometimes on the one hand, they'll try almost anything, but sometimes they become apathetic. And, And I find that something that must have been very challenging that Jackson dealt with because there were probably people that thought, you know, we're going to hell in a handbag and I really don't care. I mean, yeah, the whole country's burned. Our president's standing, you know, five foot four inches sickly uh, on a horse by himself, watching the White House burn to the ground, knowing that he was supposed to have dinner there that night. Doesn't know where his wife is. Doesn't know if anything's been saved or salvaged. They also burned our uh, national intelligentsia offices, which is the, the symbol symbolic of freedom of the press. So things really look really bleak. So that's why when Jackson gets involved in the war, uh, you know, he pulls us basically off our deathbed as a country. And that's what also when they burn Washington, all those people apathetic about the war said, I got to double down because it's not a it's a, it's not a matter of I agree with the war. Do I want a country? And that's when they jumped in. The northern states never jumped in. Uh, they never were involved. They were never attacked. They were avoiding it. They were avoiding the conflict entirely. But in the South, uh, anybody who had a problem, like Francis Scott Key was originally against the war, anybody who had a problem uh, would eventually uh, get involved because they saw the future of the country in the balance. I'm from New England originally. I'm a Bostonian. And I know that sometimes we Bostonians have this highbrow, you know, you know, educated intellectual attitude. And it really even goes back to uh, that time. I mean, Jackson was a man of the people. He wasn't a a well-educated, polished uh, individual like those in Virginia or in New England. Those were people that dominated the government then. Some would argue they dominate it now, although from different states. Um, And he was able to convince uh, the president and the War Department to take him seriously. I think this is an example and this can even play into current day where there are individuals that are different from one another. You know what I mean? Some people are Harvard educated and some people are a peanut farmer or something like that, uh, where they can and they have to work uh, together when you are in a dire situation and when really politically there isn't a left or right, and certainly there wasn't at that time, uh, but there is just a we, we, we need to win or lose here. And I think that's what happens. When you have no other choice, you step up, 9-11, everybody came together. But when you have the Iraq war and the Iraq war goes south, it's easy to take sides. There's nothing to galvanize uh, right now, galvanize us right now. You know, there's only uh, friction. Got an election, divide. You know, got another election, divide. Got a re-election, divide. You have an economic program, divide. You have a tax program, I have the other side. Whatever side you have, I have the other side. You know, you have immigration, you can't possibly be right. I'm going to have to grab the other side. There's nothing bringing us together. I also want to talk about the patriotism uh, because there was a surge of of patriotism at this time when uh, they put their faith and trust um, in this leader as a major general at the time, Andrew Jackson, um, to, to lead them to what they felt was their only hope. Some people said it would take a miracle, and, and many people argue that Andrew Jackson did receive one. He, uh, he met with the Ursula nuns, and they were a famous convent in the area. They'd been there before Jefferson made the uh, Louisiana Purchase. And when he does do the purchase, he meets with the Ursula nuns, and they go, we want to know our future. And, he said, and Jefferson told them, listen, as long as 
America is uh, in control of New Orleans. You'll have a future, and uh, we'll always preserve you. So when Jackson comes in, everybody's nervous because they know the British terrorize when they take control. And Jackson goes, I, I, I will uphold that promise. And they said, fine, we'll pray for you nonstop, and we'll make the other half of the convent a hospital because we're also double as nurses. In the end, we'd only have 13 deaths, 39 casualties. The hundreds that came in were actually British. The prayers that came forward, Jackson was convinced, uh, was the reason that we won. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Brian Kilmeade. You know him as the co-host of Fox and Friends. He also hosts his own nationally syndicated radio show on the Fox News Radio Network. You can purchase his book at briankilmeade.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-K-I-L-M-E-A-D-E.com. On Twitter, follow him at Kilmeade, K-I-L-M-E-A-D-E. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with our guests, back with you right after this. Don't go away. We are back, and we are me, Leslie Marshall, your host, and our guest in this second half of the hour, Brian Kilmeade. Uh, Brian is the co-host of Fox and Friends. I know that you know him uh, well, for those of you that watch, and I know many of you do when you just look at the numbers. And speaking of numbers, he's also a New York Times bestseller. He has written George Washington's Secret Six and also Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pirates. Uh, good to have him with us. We are talking about his latest book. His latest book is about Andrew Jackson, Andrew Jackson and the Miracle of New Orleans, the battle that shaped America's destiny. Uh, Brian, thank you for holding. Uh, welcome back. Um, do you see, and if so, if you could draw some comparisons, a- any similarities with what we as a nation are facing, and even, you know, our President Donald Trump, even though I'm not a big fan, but what he's facing with regard to North Korea. Because North Korea is an example where I, as a Democrat, and my Republican friends, we agree. None of us want to be blown to smithereens, and we think that the leader of North Korea is a madman and that the United States, you know, has to deal with North Korea. Uh, Brian, can you draw any comparison between Andrew Jackson's time and, and now and between, you know, threats that we face, North Korea as an example? I mean, uh, we didn't have really external threats when he became president. Then, obviously, we had threats from France. We had threats from uh, Spain. We had mostly threats from England uh, and a lack of respect around the world. They want us to all fail. But when you have to today and now, I think you can compare Jackson's pre- Jackson and, and President Trump as president. Number one, they were both obsessed with the media. They both thought they were getting an unfair shot from the media. They never got a fair shake. Uh, I think Jackson was even more obsessed than, than Trump on that. He used to keep all the newspapers and make comments. Should he ever run across a columnist, he would be able to whip them out and show it exactly the problem he had with their stories. He was also considered an outsider. He wasn't accepted by Washington. When they both they, they decided to uh, declare their candidacy, they weren't taken serious. Next thing you know, they became popularity. Jackson was the first one to actually go campaign and just leave Washington instead of trying to win over the elite. He went over and tried to win over the people. And that's why he won the popular vote three times, actually, only you know he was only president twice. So there's a lot of similarities. They also like to use their family in the Oval Office, uh, not in the Oval Office, in the, in the White House then, because they felt most comfortable. They didn't really trust a lot of people in Washington. I, I just think it's, it's a story that you got to stop judging people in the past and stop uh, start analyzing them, stop make, uh, casting judgment on them. You can't. People are going to laugh at what we believe in 2017. They're going to say how oblivious and cavemen we're like we were. We can't even anticipate. And as a generation, we should stop looking back and judging all these great leaders in our history, appreciate who they were in their time. 
and stop uh, trying to take down a statue and poke holes in their past because uh, no one's worthy. Uh, no one can do that. We, we can only judge our times and, and analyze others. But we don't have to Thank- tear down statues. All right. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate you being with us. Listeners can purchase the book at www.briankilmead.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-K-I-L-M-E-A-D-E.com. On Twitter, follow him at Kilmead, K-I-L-M-E-A-D-E. I'm Leslie Marshall. Always more to come on the only true democracy in talk radio. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time, you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery.